Amen. Good morning and hello, church. If you've been tracking with us for a few weeks, you know that we have been in the book of Genesis, looking at the life of Jacob. I don't know how many of you have siblings, but sibling rivalry is a real thing. It's a real thing. I uh, am the middle of three boys, and so my mother has broken up her fair share of fights, conflicts. It's a real thing, right? And I'm also in student ministry, and so I know when there's students who are siblings in youth group, you have some conflict there as well. Not your kids, obviously. Guests that come always, you know, are the ones who are acting up. Never your kids. But sibling rivalry is a real thing. And as we're looking at Jacob's uh, life, I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 33. And as you're turning there, I just want to kind of set up where we're going this morning. Genesis chapter 33, first book of the Bible. And Jacob and Esau have been in a conflict their entire lives. This conflict started in the womb. They were wrestling. And Jacob is kind of the, the lying, scheming brother. That's who he's been. He trades lunch for Esau's birthright. He's kind of entrepreneurial. And then he's already not winning brother of the year awards, and he steals the blessing, lying to his father, steals it from his brother that was intended for Esau. And that's kind of the last straw. Esau says, I, my, the, if it's the last thing I do, I vow that I will kill you. And Jacob flees. And 20 years go by. Can you imagine that, just what Jacob is feeling? How many sleepless nights that was? Wondering like, hey, is that whole murder me thing still in effect? Like, can I come home for the holidays? There, there's conflict and there's tension between the brothers, and he's been living in that. He flees to Laban. That doesn't go the way that he planned. He flees from Laban, and it's just thing after thing that God is leading him through. And right before we jump into Genesis 33, in Genesis chapter 32, you see that Jacob kind of devises a plan, and he knows Esau is coming, and he is gripped with fear. And so he starts to uh, send out a series of gifts, uh, trying to appease Esau. He sets up his groups. He divides them. And so God has clearly blessed him because he has a lot of things he's dividing up. And he's getting ready, but he's so gripped with fear. And he prays to God, and his prayer is, please spare me from my brother who might be coming to kill me, I don't know, and help me. In this, in this time, and the, what stuck out to me, and it, as we've been learning about Jacob, what has impacted me, and even looking at his life, before we even get into Genesis 33, is the struggles that he has gone through, and the way that God uses those struggles to change him. He wrestles with God. That's how Genesis chapter 32 ends. It's a wrestling match between Jacob and God, and he walks away with a limp, like we heard last week, in his hip. But he also walks away a changed and a transformed man. And you're going to see that in chapter 33. 
that something has the encounter with God and wrestling with God and saying, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me because I realize blessing only comes from you, God. I'm not letting go. And he prevails and God blesses him. And there is a transformation that we're going to see here. And, and what I learned from this as I think about it is that struggles in our lives, we oftentimes look at them and say, God, what are you doing here? My finances aren't the way that I want them to be. Lost my job. I can't find a new one. I haven't found a spouse. I haven't found a relationship. Why are you doing this to me? And what I'm impacted by in the life of Jacob is that struggles tend to be what God uses in our lives to make us who he intends us to be. That he changes us through the struggles of our lives. That the struggles in your faith journey transform us. This is what we're about to see in chapter 33. That Jacob becomes transformed through the struggle. And I want to ask the question, why is this? How does this happen? What is God doing? And so I think if faith is trusting in God, then what God wants us to do is not rely on ourselves and learn to rely on him. He's going to put us in a place of dependency on him. This is what he does with Jacob. And so instead of asking, why is it happening? I think it's helpful to ask God, what are you doing here? Not, not always, why is it happening? God, what are you doing to transform me into who you want me to be? And so I want you to take note of this transformation as we get into Genesis 33. And the moment of truth has arrived. Esau's here. He's coming. And as we open it into this narrative, the moment has come. And so I want to pray before we jump into Genesis chapter 33 together. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm asking that you speak through your word, you've promised that it will not return void. And I know that you want to do a work in our hearts. You don't leave us the way you find us. You want to continually shape us and mold us. And so I pray, God, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see what it is that you are showing us. And we ask that you would transform us as we see you transform Jacob. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And here it is, Genesis chapter 33, verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front. Thanks a lot, Jacob. Then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Remember, uh, we were told earlier that Jacob loved Rachel the most. And so he puts her and Joseph in the back. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. This is an act of complete humility. He is coming to Esau and humiliating himself in a sense, bowing seven times. What I, what I find so fascinating about this is that for the past 20 years, Jacob has been running from Esau in fear. 
Now we see Jacob stepping towards Esau in faith. What happened? There's been a transformation that has happened in the life of Jacob. Fear has governed all of Jacob's decisions up until this point. It's dictated the running and all of the things that have happened in his life have been dictated by this fear. Fear is looking into the future and saying, this is going to overwhelm me. I can't handle this. I can't do anything about this. It's the sleepless nights. It is the thoughts that you can't seem to just get collected. It is every decision that you're making being reactive instead of proactive. That's what he's been doing. He's just been reacting to things his whole life, running in fear. And now we see him step in faith. Faith is looking at the things that are happening in your life, recognizing they're real and giving that to God, giving those fears to God and saying, this fear is coming on me, but I will not let it in me. And I will not let this rule my life. I am surrendering this to the Lord and I'm going to respond in the faith that he gives me. He's reacting in faith and not fear. When your life is dictated by fear, it gets darker and darker, as Jacob's did. And the people of God respond in the faith that he gives us. And I believe that the sooner that we can learn to face those fears and receive that faith from God, we spend less time worrying about all of the outcomes and we end up learning how to worship God in the process of walking through those things. That it's, no, God, I know that I don't know all that's coming, but I know you do. And you have me. Your presence is with me. And instead of going through the millions different scenarios in my head, I'm going to worship you through every step of the process. Because I know you got me. And I know you're with me. And so... The brother that he spent 20 years of his life running from in fear, he's now walking toward in faith. He's gone from being a coward to being courageous. And he steps out in leadership, out in front, says, I need to, I need to own this. I need to meet with Esau. Spiritual transformation looks like growing in confidence of the word of God. This is why Jacob could step in faith. Because he was trusting the word that God had given him. He knew what God had said to him in Genesis 32 when, Je when God had told him, I will be with you. And so he's stepping out, trusting the word of God. This is being able to face a diagnosis, a seemingly hopeless situation, because your hope is not in the circumstance. Your hope is in the promises of God. And so read the word, receive the word, believe the word. And let it give you the confidence and the spiritual transformation will begin to take place in your life. This is what Psalm 18, 118, verse 5 and 6 says. It says it here, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and he set me free. The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? This is the confidence that... Jacob steps forward in. 
And so spiritual transformation looks like growing in the confidence of the word of God. He's not perfect. Like, you'll see that. We'll continue to see that. He doesn't get perfect. That's why we're, I'm, I'm intentionally using that word growing. Because he hasn't arrived, but he's growing in the process. Pick it up in verse 4. Here's Esau's reaction. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I will note, this is something my brothers have, we've never done this. So. <laughs> and when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all of this company that I have met? Jacob answered, to find favor in your sight. Well, I want to get back to that word favor in a moment. But the picture that we're seeing here is this beautiful picture of forgiveness, reconciliation, after 20 years of being against each other. And what I want to note here is that Jacob's plan did not work, but his prayer worked. Do you notice that? His plan didn't work. Esau says, what is all this? And he's going to go on to say, brother, I got storage units full of stuff. I don't need any more. God has blessed me. Jacob's plan of the gifts and dividing up the groups, it really hadn't worked. God had done a work in Esau's heart. And so Jacob's plan really didn't work. It was his prayer that worked in the heart of Esau. And when I read this, I get so much hope. I get so much hope for situations that you might find yourself in, or I might find myself in, where there is estranged relationships and brokenness, broken relationships, that maybe you can't even talk to the person that you are separated from. You can't communicate with them, but you can talk to God and God can talk to them because that's clearly what's happened in the life of Esau is they haven't spoken for 20 years and God has done a work in Esau's heart. We have no indication that he's a Christian, that he's, you know, following God, but God has blessed him and he shows up and there is forgiveness, reconciliation, and if you can't speak to that person, speak to God, talk to God, pray for them, and let God do the work of changing their hearts. He says, for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. He's, do you know what happens throughout scripture when we see, you know, hear about seeing the face of God? Death follows that, because God is holy. And for unholiness to step into his presence, to see his face, death occurs. What Jacob is saying is, I wrestled with God. He just says it in chapter 32. I, I've, I've wrestled with God, and I've lived to tell about it, and I've also been blessed. And so he's saying to Esau here, you've come here with your 400 men, and you could have killed me easy. I had no chance. And yet you've shown me favor. And you've blessed me and you've forgiven me. And then he uses the word favor, 
which is the Hebrew word for grace. He says that in, he uses it a couple times, but he says it in verse 8. He says, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Jacob is recognizing that he is in need of grace. It's really powerful, right, in a relationship when you can ask for grace. When, when you're the one to be able to say, my hands are up, I can't fix this situation, I'm not, I'm not going to give you the million different scenarios, the different things that you've done to hurt me, I'm, I'm going to let me own my part in this, and I am asking for grace. And Jacob recognizes that he is in need of grace. This is the transformation that we're seeing in him. He ends up calling Esau, he refers to himself as Esau's servant five times and Esau as his Lord four times. This is a sign of deep humility and a need for grace. We all are in need of grace. Every one of us here in this room, we are in need of grace. And it's really good that in the kingdom of God, we don't get what we deserve. It's so, that's really good news that we don't get what we deserve in the kingdom of God, but we get grace and we get adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And I think the grace, grace can be a difficult thing to receive. And in a moment, I want to mention it's even a harder thing to give at times. But I think the reason grace can be difficult to receive is because we feel like we need to earn it right? We are very suspicious of free things in our culture, right? I mean, I feel like half of my day is spent deleting emails that say, free this, you won this. It's like, nope, 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 trash. This happened to me the other day. I was up at the Shell gas station right here in Burlington, and I'm pumping gas, and a Tesla, brand new Tesla, like whips into the parking lot, into the gas station, and he rolls down his window, and I didn't know if he was just, like, confused as to, like, he was definitely in the wrong place. To get, it's an electric car. So <laughs> he, he, I didn't know if he just didn't know where he was. But he says to me, he says to me, um, hey, can I ask you a strange question? I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> What's happening here? And he goes, I have a $8,000 projector in the back of the car. And we are on a job site right now for the Encore Casino, and we're, you know, we're building it out, and we have some extra material, and I need to get rid of it. And, and uh, I, I'll give it to you right now for free. Do you want to see it? I'm like, well, my interest is peaked at this point. Like, I, I, I need to at least see it. <laughs> but then as he was opening the hatch of his car, I'm like, I'm getting murdered today, aren't I? Like, <laughs> this, this is how it ends. <laughs> And there was, thank God, there was a projector in the back of the car. It was in the box. It was a Samsung. Like, it looked really nice. It was a Samsung, whatever, high-end projector. And he's like, I'll give it to you for free right now, but you have to take it right now. I'm like, no thanks. But have a wonderful day. God bless. And um, we are, we're very skeptical of things that are free 
because I, I think we feel like we need to earn it. And even if we had like, if he had even given me a price for it, I would have felt better. If he was like thousand bucks, it's $8,000, I'll give you two thousand bucks. I think I would have felt better than like, it's free, take it. And then I have the police after me. So, so we feel like we need to earn the grace of God. But the problem is if we read through scripture and understand it, the only thing that we have earned by our actions is judgment. That's what the Bible tells us that we have earned judgment for what we have done. The Bible describes it as a debt. That's what he calls sin, a debt. It's like we've accumulated this debt of our sin and who's going to pay for it. And the gospel, the good news is not the works righteousness that we pay it off. We pay off the karmic debt, all of those things. No, the gospel is it's been paid, that Jesus paid it. And he has paid for our salvation. And now because of what he has done for us, he suffered so that we don't have to suffer. He died so that we don't have to die. That's the gospel. And now we have life eternal because of it. And so just as Esau and Jacob's relationship needed grace and forgiveness in order to reconcile, we need the grace of God and the forgiveness of God to be reconciled to God. This is what Jesus models for us on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, he's hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Without Jesus, there is no forgiveness. Without Jesus, there is no grace. We're told that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Spiritual transformation is growing in humility and grace towards others. This is spiritual transformation. If you've received it, you need to share it. You need to share it. And as I said a moment ago, grace can be very easy to receive and very difficult to share at times, right? Because it can be like, man, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve the forgiveness. They don't deserve me to give them grace. It feels like they're kind of getting one up on me by me giving them grace and us reconciling. Don't they know what they've done? And we are told to be conduits of God's forgiveness and grace to us and then through us to others. This is what Colossians 3 verse 12 and 13 Put on then as God's chosen and holy and beloved ones, compassion, hearts, kind, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forbearing one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. As we have received the forgiveness of God through Christ, we give that forgiveness to others. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. This is what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself, us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What does this mean? This means that that thing that has happened to you that you feel like you can't forgive, that you can't get over, that you can't show grace, I've heard it said before that your greatest misery can become your greatest ministry. And that's, that's what this is saying. That's what Paul is saying here is that the, the, the worst thing that has happened to you, the things that you feel like there's no way I could forgive, there's no way I could be forgiven. Well, the scriptures tell us you've been forgiven. God sees you as clean, not dirty. God sees you as his child, not an orphan. And because of that, now you are called to be a minister of that reconciliation to others so that others might come to know him, so that others might come to know the, the, the hope that is found in Jesus. And so your greatest misery can become your greatest ministry. And so we become ministers of reconciliation. Let's finish the chapter in 33 verse 12. And so Esau takes the gift, and, and then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servants, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children." until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Once again, here comes the word. Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. I don't know if Jacob ever intended on following Esau. This is the last time they meet up and, and he says to him, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up to you. Where Esau's going to Seir, where he, it's 100 miles south of where they're at right now. Jacob goes four miles to the west to Sukkoth. And so I, I don't know if there's some trickery happening there, but Jacob goes to a new place and he's going back to the promised land that he left many years ago. Verse 18, and Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padam Aram. And he camped before the city, and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, so Shechem is a city, but it's also a man, he, brought, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent, and there he erected an altar, called it El Elohi Israel meaning God, the God of Israel. He builds an altar there. And this is really the bookend of the Jacob and Esau conflict. It started back in Genesis 27. And Jacob, before leaving the promised land, builds an altar there, the same place that Abraham built one in Genesis 12. And then before returning back into the land, what does he do? He builds an altar and he worships God. And this is kind of the closing of that conflict between him and his brother. And it's easy to look at this, I think, 
and think that this whole story is about Jacob. And to think, wow, man, that's really cool, the transformation that's happened in Jacob's life. Good for him. Like he's really getting his life together, really getting his act together. But what I don't want you to miss, and the question I think we need to be asking as we read the scriptures is not what is this saying about Jacob, but what is this saying about God? Because he's the main character of the story. He's the main character of every story. And he is leading Jacob through this. And, and we must ask ourselves, what is God doing here? I don't want us to forget what was said back in Genesis 28, verse 15. Here's what God said to Jacob. Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. This is the unstoppable blessing of God. The unstoppable blessing of God is always tied to the promise of God. Always tied to his promises. He's saying to Jacob, you're going to go through some stuff, but I will not leave you. You are not going to be alone in this. And that's why our hope is never found in our situation. It's found in the promises of God. That's why we go back to finding confidence in the word. We need to know the promises of God to cling to the promises of God, right? So we get in the word to find out what does God say? What, what are his promises that we can cling to? And so... This is Jacob's response in verse 20 of that same chapter. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then what? Then the Lord shall be my God. El Elohe Israel. God, the God of Israel. He's not talking about the nation of Israel, though the nation will come from him. He has 11 sons at this point. A 12th is coming. They will be the 12 tribes of Israel. But his name is Israel now. He, and, and he's saying, God, my God, the God of Israel. He recognizes that this is a personal relationship with God. This is no longer his dad's faith or his granddaddy's faith, right? Up until this point, you've heard, well, God the, of my father Isaac, God of my father Jacob, and now he says, God, the God of Israel, my God. This isn't, uh, I need to be dragged to church. I want to come to church because this is my family and this is where I worship my God. This isn't, I need to be forced to go to youth group on Wednesday nights. I want to worship my God. This is, I want to pray to my father because he's my father. And I, I want to pray to him. It's a personal relationship with God, not the relationship of his dad or his granddad. And so spiritual transformation is growing in your worship of God as my God. This is what spiritual transformation looks like in the life of Jacob. He's now worshiping God as his God. It's so easy for us to be around the things of God, right? And if we're not careful, we miss 
making him the Lord of our lives, making him the Lord of our hearts. And instead, he's just a God that is worshiped instead of my God that I worship. This is what Psalm 63, 1 through 3 says. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in my sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Jacob's story is a story of transformation that led, of heart transformation that led to life transformation. God did something in his heart, and that led to transformation in his life. Many times, right, when we're asking, why, why doesn't this change? Why can't I change this? Why does that person not change? And it's because we put a lot of emphasis on the activities, and we miss that without the heart changing, those activities will continue. And so Jacob's heart changes, and then we clearly see his life changed. And as I said, the story's not over. Come back next week. He goes through some difficult circumstances. But God is working in his life, and his heart has been transformed. And so spiritual transformation looks like growing in the confidence of the word of God. Spiritual transformation is growing in humility and grace towards others. And spiritual transformation is growing in your worship of God as my God. That's, that's how we start to see spiritual transformation in our lives. And so I wanted to put these questions together for you. I hope this is helpful. These were questions that as I was preparing, thinking about circumstances from my life, Jacob's life, these questions came to, to mind and here they are. What fear in your life is an opportunity for faith and trust in God? What fear do you look at out in front of you and say, God, I can't do this. I can't do it. And God says, that's right, you can't, but I can. I, I have you. I got you. You can do it with my power that I give you. And so where are the places in your life that you would identify? These are places I have shrunk back in fear. And God is asking me to step forward in faith as Jacob did. Have you received the grace in the forgiveness of God, right? That's the first step. It needs to be received before it can be given. And so if you have received it, how does the truth of God's grace towards you impact how you forgive others? And if you haven't received it, my friend, today is the day. Today's the day of salvation. Receive it today. He loves you. How does the truth of God's grace towards you impact how you forgive others? Are there relationships in your life right now that you have not forgiven, that you have held back forgiveness for one reason or another? Like I said, there could be many. Do not wait 20 years as Jacob and Esau did to reconcile. In other areas of your life where God's reconciliation power wants to work because we see it so clearly all over the story of Genesis 33 in Jacob's life that the spiritual transformation led to a reconciliation and healing occurred. Healing. That now 
you're able to move forward instead of always looking in the past. You're able to move forward into what God is calling you into next. Uh, there's a pastor who says, I love, I love the line, but it's, you've heard time heals all wounds. And time does not heal all wounds. Forgiveness heals all wounds. And there's maybe a place in your life now where there is, you've just kind of been brushing past it, sweeping it under the rug and saying, I'll get to that at some point or one day it'll just go away. And it's the healing of forgiveness that you need to receive and to give. And so I want to pray for us as we think about these questions. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a last song of praise and worship. But even as they do that, I, I don't want to rush past a moment that might need to be taken with you and the Lord. And let the Holy Spirit prompt your mind and your heart to recall where are the places in my life that there is fear right now? Where are the places in my life where there is unforgiveness or reconciliation that needs to occur that has not occurred so that you might experience healing? I'm going to pray for you and then let's take a moment with the Lord together before we worship him. God, you are the only one who can transform hearts and lives. Lord, we live in this day of self-improvement and being the best version of yourself. And we recognize and just humble ourselves this morning that there is no best version of ourselves apart from doing what you've called us to do living the way you've called us to live, being obedient to you and to your word, God. And so I just ask that you would point out the places in our lives and in our hearts that you are prompting us to take a step of faith, to grant forgiveness, to receive forgiveness from you, to lay our pride down and to reconcile with those who need to be reconciled with. God, I, I know that this is a work that can only be done by your spirit. I don't have the strength in myself to do it. We don't have the strength within ourselves to, to do it, but we know that you can work through us and we're asking for that. This morning, would you transform us? Transform us into who you want us to be, God. We wanna be a church that's marked by these things. We want to be a people that are marked by forgiveness and grace and humility. Love towards others. And so I just pray that you would do that work now in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.